Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT Podcast, your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. While a distractibility, disorganization, and impulsivity of ADHD can cause problems in many areas of adult life, these symptoms are particularly damaging when it comes to your closest relationships. This is especially true if the symptoms of ADHD have never been properly diagnosed or treated. So if you're the person with ADHD, you may feel like you're constantly being criticized, nagged, micromanaged. No matter what you do, nothing seems to please your partner. You don't feel respected as an adult, so you find yourself avoiding your partner, or saying whatever you have to in order to get them to back off. You just wish your significant other could relax even just a little bit and stop trying to control every aspect of your life. And if you're that partner with someone that has ADHD, you may feel lonely, ignored, and underappreciated. You're tired of taking care of everything on your own and being the only responsible party in the relationship. You don't feel like you can ever rely on your partner. They never seem to follow through on their promises, and you're forced to constantly issue reminders, be a nag, make demands, or just do things yourself. Sometimes it feels as your significant other doesn't even care. As systemic couple and family therapist, we deal with ADHD all the time, and that is the topic of the podcast today with an expert, Melissa Orlov, founder of the ADHDmarriage.com. Melissa Orlov is a marriage consultant, a top expert in how ADHD affects relationships, and an award-winning author. She has been writing and speaking about the topic since 2007. She teaches couples, therapists, and coaches about how ADHD impacts relationships and offers private counseling to couples who wish to improve their ADHD-impacted relationships. She has a very popular couples seminar, which we'll mention. It's helped many struggling couples turn their relationship around. She's a blogger for Psychology Today. Uh, She's most famous for her book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, which is awarded the best psychological book, 2010 by Forward Reviews. Her latest book is The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD. She's a graduate of Harvard College and Phillips Exeter Academy, and her hobbies include road biking, singing, and playing cello. We will be back after the interview. Your practice finances are about to get a whole lot easier. As a mental health care professional running your own business, you're probably more familiar with your session notes than with financial records. Luckily, HERD is a bookkeeping and tax platform designed to help you track the financial health of your practice and alleviate the stress around your business finances. Built and designed for therapists, HERD offers affordable bookkeeping services, personalized financial reporting, and tax assistance to ensure clinicians make the most of their business and their time. Schedule your first consultation at www.joinherd.com. 
www.joinhead.com. That's www.joinhead.com. Melissa, welcome to the AAMFT podcast. So happy to have you. This is a topic that our listeners want to hear about, not just ADHD, but how it affects couple relationships and that is your area of expertise and if you've listened to the show the first question is always how did you get interested in this topic of adhd that you've really made a career on for the last two decades well i backed into it as a matter of fact um because I am personally impacted by it. My husband has ADHD, and um, our daughter also has it, and we were really struggling. It turns out that my husband and I are completely average, I like to say. We struggled with all of the patterns and all of the problems that people impacted by, couples impacted by ADHD struggle with, but there was really no information out there. And even though I was working at the time with uh, Dr. Ned Halliwell and Dr. John Rady, it still was not obvious to me and to others that husband had ADHD, and that's also common. Anyway, we struggled quite a lot, and when we came out the other side, I sort of said, huh, <laughs> you know, maybe somebody needs to do something about the fact that there's very little information about this available. So that's how I got into it, and it sort of organically built. I got a very uh, wonderful training from Hallowell and Rady. My work with them was in the educational sector. They were doing some online seminars, and they gave uh, one in particular that was sort of everything that you that is known about adult ADHD back in 2005. And so I took that course as the moderator, and that was the start of my sort of professional knowledge about it, and then moved into what I'm doing, and it just took off. There was such a need for this information, and, and uh, I wrote my first book, and it was reviewed in the New York Times Well blog and Well article, and that was the launching pad, as it turned out. And in the field about 20 years, you know, ADHD was considered a childhood-only disorder, and we have people like your husband, if they weren't flagged as a child because they were high achievers or for, for some reason it didn't get brought to the attention the idea of adult ADHD and couple and family therapists working with it is is relatively new but so important so that's that's what we're going to talk about today what do you think is some of the basic psychoeducation that every couple's therapist should know about adult ADHD and how it differs from ADHD and children? Well, there are a number of ways that it differs, among other things, that it largely goes undiagnosed for exactly the reason that you're talking about. I mean, Hallowell and others, Russ Barkley and others, think that 70 to 80 percent of adult ADHD is still undiagnosed. And so what happens is you end up with these patterns. There are very specific identifying markers when somebody walks into your office and uh, you see a couple and one of the members of the couple says, you know, I feel like I have another child <laughs> in my family that I have to always take care of. That's one of those sort of verbal cues that make you want to go, huh, maybe I should be thinking about ADHD. Children with ADHD, not only do you have teachers who are identified to, you know, who can I help identify it, and the hyperactivity, which shows up at least for boys, is uh, pretty easy to observe. For adults, the primary symptom is actually distractibility. 
And as I said, most are undiagnosed. As you grow into your ADHD and age with ADHD, there's a lot of shame. It can be covered up by depression and anxiety. It can be hard to see, particularly if you're not used to looking for it. A lot of people with ADHD get the depression diagnosis, but not the ADHD diagnosis. So then there is a great deal of sort of chronic stress and anger and frustration that couples and adults with ADHD are facing that the kids have not yet moved into. So there are a lot of very different challenges for ADHD. And if you're an adult who has unmanaged ADHD, it's impacting most of the areas of your life. And yet, many adults with ADHD are not very open to hearing that they might have it. So it's an interesting challenge. Our profession of systemic family therapy prioritizes strength and health. So you you have to balance that with the ability to give a diagnosis. And a diagnosis for some people can be stigmatizing or labeling. For other people, it can be freeing. It can explain and give a cluster of symptoms to describe how they experience the world. So What is your take on the knowledge of ADHD as a neurobiological disorder? Well, it's an interesting question. So I think from the standpoint, very often adults with ADHD are, you know, going, I don't know if I really want to take that on. Just for the reason that you're saying that that there's a stigma attached to it still, they look at it and they go, I'm not a hyperactive kid in school. Um, And I'm, you know, I went through college. My husband is a great example of the very intelligent, successful person who does well in the business world and then everything falls apart at home because there's no structure, etc. So there is this stigma. But understanding what ADHD is about and observing the patterns is really helpful because one of the big issues for not just the adults who have it and their partners, but also actually for therapists is misinterpretation of ADHD symptoms. And as long as you misinterpret them, you end up with uh, the wrong approaches. You end up with these very human approaches, but they're the wrong approaches to helping manage the life for that person in a strengths-based way and also improving the relationship. And I can talk about some of those uh, in a moment. But when you talk about it as a neurobiological thing, it, it takes away some of the stigma. You're able to say, look, this isn't about the fact that you know, this isn't that you're lazy or that you're trying to somehow undermine your partner, which are the kinds of sort of moral diagnoses, if you want to call it that, that people start to get to when they get frustrated and angry. So this provides an alternative uh, narrative, which is actually more accurate and provides a path out of the anger and the problems that the couple and the adults have been facing. But you have to be gentle. You know, sometimes you run into a person who just says, I'm not willing to engage with the idea that I have ADHD. And at that point, I say, fine, uh, let's talk about them, the issues that the two of you are facing in your relationship. Let's just talk about the issues and not put a label on them and start to look at what kinds of uh, responses uh, would be healthier around those issues. And eventually, as the relationship calms down and they feel less like they're going to get blamed for everything if they take on that label, often they're then ready to start to engage with the idea of ADHD. One of the things I do when a couple comes in like this, first I want to know, yes, the comfort that the individual and the couple has with that diagnosis. And then I'm always amazed by the fact that 
an individual can have a diagnosis, but really never talk to their partner about how they experience the world or what's that like or what's that like for the partner. So just even start the dialogue on that is very important. So as we start our dialogue, what do you think are some of the kind of telltale signs that ADHD is disrupting a couple relationship? What are the most common partner complaints that if they don't understand the disorder and how to deal with it, they could really think their partner is trying to make life difficult for them rather than my partner has a disorder that they are coping with. So before we talk about the coping, let's talk about the disruption. What does it look like? Well, it's interesting. One of the things in my work that I make sure I point out, uh, and it does help with the ADHD partner also adopting, well, it helps both partners, is that it's not just the ADHD and the ADHD symptomatic behaviors. It is also the responses to those behaviors from the other partner that create the issues. This helps alleviate some of the blame. So that's one of the things. To get the symptomatic behaviors that are defined by the fact that you have ADHD, you know, in order to get that diagnosis, you have to have certain symptoms and they result in symptomatic behaviors. So you have these behaviors and then you have very human responses to these behaviors. It's what I call sort of symptom response response as I'm trying to explain it to couples. And let me give you an example because this will help illuminate the the number one pattern, which is what I call parent-child dynamics in the relationship. If you have a very chronically distracted adult with ADHD, that shows up and the non-ADHD or other ADHD partner, typically the more organized partner, it feels unattended to. They feel lonely. They'll talk to you about feeling lonely in the relationship or feeling like they're constantly responsible for everything in the relationship, that their partner promises to do things and then doesn't follow through. So if you see a partner who wishes to, you know, intends to follow through and consistently doesn't follow through, that's one of the one of the flags. And the remarks like, I feel as if I have another child or I, you know, I'm really lonely in this relationship. My partner doesn't pay any attention to me. And the other partner, you know, you you might end up saying, well, gee, I feel lonely and I really don't feel loved in this relationship or even seen in the relationship. I'm not sure you love me. And the other partner, the typically non-ADHD partner will uh, will say this and the, the ADHD partner will say something along the lines of, what are you talking about? Of course I love you. And they have, they don't really know. They don't have a view of it at all. That kind of interaction is typical. And parent-child dynamics are really a big flag as, as are impulsivity and, you know, the other symptoms. And having a kid who has ADHD because it's genetic, right? So all of those things would be flags. But this symptom response response thing is a really interesting way for couples to start to engage with how they can change their dynamics. If you think about chronic distractibility, that's the thing that shows up. The way that it shows up is that the the ADHD partner sort of pays attention to everything that's going on. They're very distracted. Nothing really comes out as more important, including the partner. They don't end up paying a lot of attention to their partner. They don't realize they're not doing that because they're just sort of in the present moment doing their thing. The other partner is at first confused by this. 
and then decides to try to get their attention, so becomes more intrusive. First, that might be, you know, sexy lingerie or something else, and then it might be more pushing, more of an aggression kind of a thing, starting sort of low level and then getting into a yelling or fighting thing. So there's that response. And then the ADHD partner finally notices because the intrusiveness becomes obvious enough that it gets their attention and they start to fight. Then the fight ends up being about the aggression and the fighting and the you're not the boss of me and don't manage me and don't tell me what to do and, you know, all that. And the original symptom is sort of forgotten. So there's this dynamic that goes back and forth between these partners where you've got the symptom and you've got the response to the symptom, then you've got the response to the response and this sort of downward negative spiral. Therapists who know that this is there and also can help couples properly interpret the ADHD can say, this isn't about whether your partner loves you. This is about the symptom of distractibility and an alternative response would be, gee, I noticed you're particularly distractible last couple of weeks and I'm starting to feel a little bit lonely. How about if we go out on a date? And that leads to a completely different outcome from that sort of downward spiral. Then they get to pay attention to each other, you know, refill up the bank account of love and remember why they like each other and they can remain better connected. So you start to see those kinds of things. And as you work with these couples, the the patterns are extremely dependable because they start with these symptoms and then they start with the human response to those symptoms or that, you know, and until you, that this interpretation, understanding how to identify that that's a symptom response response cycle and interrupt it. That's where the power comes in the therapy. Yeah, you said a lot there. So when we think of couples therapy, the ideal scenario is to frame it in a cycle so that people are not casting blame. Because many times in a couple like this, the identified patient is the partner with the ADHD. And I'm here, fix my spouse. I I don't have the problem. So the successful couples therapist very early on has to get the buy-in without pathologizing the ADHD partner and somehow framing it as a couple cycle and the symptom response response that you're talking about. So that is a challenge. What do you think about partners that use their distractibility as kind of a get out of jail card free? It's my ADD. I didn't mean to ignore you, but it's my ADD. You know, I forgot your birthday. It's my ADD. So sometimes the the challenge of a diagnosis as people use it as a crutch and which further enrages the non-ADHD partner. So what are your thoughts on that as far as framing it as a cycle, getting the buy-in and making sure the person does not use it as a catch-all to absolve blame from their part of the cycle? Yeah, I would actually separate those two things apart. The cycle is to, you know, is observable and, and couples can really glom onto that and understand that idea. You mentioned the fix my partner syndrome and I talk about that very overtly. I say, look, when people come into counseling, they genuinely both partners wanna their objective is to have the other partner fixed. That's a form of denial of your own role. So what I stress is it always takes two people to create a, a dynamic in a couple's situation. And the classic fix my partner scenario when you have ADHD is the ADHD, non-ADHD partner is saying, if you would only fix the ADHD, everything would be fine. 
And the ADHD partner is saying, if you would just stop being so angry and mean, everything would be fine. And so I just bring that right out into the open and I say, okay, look, you know, fixing the ADHD doesn't change the anger and et cetera. And fixing the anger doesn't change the ADHD. You both are responsible here for looking at yourself and moving away from blame. So that's sort of one, if you want to think of it as unit or way to talk to them. This idea of using distractibility or ADHD as an excuse The way that I typically address that is I say, look, there is a bottom line of what a healthy relationship looks like. We're not here to try to get you into a suboptimal relationship that is bearable. We're here to try to get you into a healthy relationship. And what that means is there are certain things that actually have to happen. And you get to define what those things are to a certain degree, but they're they're things like respectful behavior towards each other and being able to attend to your partner enough so that they know that they are loved. And if you drop below that basic bottom line for healthiness, if you rage at your partner or whatever, then, then you're not you're not doing well enough. And yes, there are issues with ADHD, but 70 to 80% of adults who have ADHD can learn to manage it quite well with the right kind of treatment. So there's all this work with them around what does optimizing ADHD treatment look like? What can you do? You know, they have all these stories in their minds about, oh, the ADHD partner's incapable. That's not true. They're not incapable. They just haven't learned how to manage the ADHD yet. Now, the other thing associated, we talk about distractibility in adult ADHD. There's also, which you write about, the emotional dysregulation that comes with adult ADHD. Yeah, it's a, actually a huge issue. It's a it's sort of a new area when you're thinking about ADHD and, and adult ADHD specifically, but it's a big topic. The emotional dysregulation now, they're coming to really, uh, in the research, understand that it's a core characteristic for people with adult ADHD. It can show up in a number of different ways. It's most obvious when it shows up as rage or as this sort of very, very quick trigger into anger and lack of control. It's a form of flooding. There is a physiological aspect to it. Adults with ADHD make a lot of emotional content, and they have very poor breaks on that content. And so the raging or the quick trigger anger is something that you need to talk about, again, along the lines of where that bottom line is for the relationship, for a healthy relationship. You may have lived your entire life being emotionally dysregulated, that does not mean that it's health in your relationship. And so it does need to be addressed. And there are techniques that you can explain to couples. One of my favorites is using verbal cues to interrupt an anger before it escalates or to notify your partner if you're feeling overwhelmed because another quick emotional dysregulation for many people with ADHD is actually moving very quickly into feelings of overwhelm, which then paralyze that partner and make them so that they really can't respond. So in both of those situations, when the person becomes extremely dysregulated, they need to interrupt, they need to learn how their body feels right before they go into that dysregulation and use a verbal cue that both partners have previously discussed, which the response to the verbal cue is to stop talking to each other and have both parties calm back down and then re-engage later. And of course, with ADHD, re-engaging later actually takes a lot of intentionality because 
people with ADHD live in sort of two time zones, as Ned Hallowell likes to talk about it, now and not now. And as soon as you're done with that conversation, the conversation will often go into the not now. So I tell clients, you know, actually write yourselves a note about what that topic was and put it on your kitchen counter or something so that you stumble upon it at a later time. And that reminds you to to come back together to talk about it. Because if you don't, there is incentive for the non-ADHD partner not to disengage. They would rather stay engaged in a negative conversation and try their hardest to have that conversation than to disengage and have it disappear off the face of the planet. So Every couple knows you cannot have a calm conversation when one or both people are flooded or dysregulated, as we've been saying. So that cue and catching yourself before you get there is very important. Okay, how does a couples therapist go about asking a client about their medication? And how do couples, should they talk about the medication? Because obviously, when someone is medicated, it's going to be easier to do the skills we're talking about, to be able to communicate, to stay on task, to stay focused. So how do we have that conversation? I talk with couples differently. I talk with couples about managing ADHD And I actually have a three-part model that I use with couples, three legs of management for ADHD. Because medication, the research is very clear, medication alone is not the optimal treatment for ADHD. There is no magic pill. Uh, As they say, pills don't teach skills. There's a lot of stuff, actually, that does work. And, And so I have three legs. So bear with me for a second. The first leg are things that change the brain. So one of the benefits of talking about the neurological basis of ADHD is that you can then say, look, leg one treatments, the physiological treatments, are about changing the brain chemistry, changing how the brain is functioning, strengthening those breaks, things that help your brain perform better. And there are a number of things in there, medications, obviously, but sleep hygiene, exercise, fish oil, uh, mindfulness, meditation, all of those things have been shown in research to impact the management of ADHD in a positive way. So so medication, if you look at the effect size of different possible leg one treatments, medication is at the top. It's the best, the, the highest effect size. But there are other things. Exercise is particularly good used as a tactical thing because your focus improves for two to three hours after you exercise, right? So if you have a, an afternoon downtime in your body, maybe you exercise at lunchtime or something like that. And then you can focus longer. When kids get home from school, for example, going out and running around helps them do their homework. It's that kind of thing. So leg one is, and you do as many of the leg one treatments or management skills as you can, that, you know, that will help move the dial on lessening the severity of your symptoms and helping you manage the ADHD. Then leg two is the behavioral structures that you put in place for the ADHD partner. And there are many of those, uh, calendaring and lists and reminder systems and alarms and uh, habits that you create for yourself that make your life go more easily. And there's a lot of information out there about what those things are. And then the third leg uh, and because I come from the couple's world, this is part, you know, very relevant for me, is interactive strategies that you use with others. So one of those is verbal cues, where you have two people who are co-regulating 
around specific types of situations that are there because of, in this case, the emotional dysregulation, but other kinds of symptoms. You can do them around impulsivity and other kinds of things. So, and that's just one version. There are other things like managing chores and tasks and responsibilities and learning, putting systems in place so that an ADHD partner who is inconsistent is still viewed as a trustworthy partner, things like that. When I first talk with a client about ADHD and management of ADHD, that's how I ask the question. I say, what are you doing to manage your ADHD. And I explain the three legs of management to them. And that helps take the conversation away from the one thing in management, which feels scary to some people, which is medications. So medications become a tool. And I'm careful to say, if you know, when you try a medication, it is to see how it helps you. It may take a while to find the right dose or the right medication. 70 to 80% of adults with ADHD can find a medication that significantly improves their symptom management without significant side effects, but not everybody. You know, if you want to start there, that's great because it makes it a lot easier to do some of the other stuff, but you don't have to. You want to take the pressure off of medication as the only way, even though it is a very good way. And that helps get the client to be more ready to look at management of ADHD holistically. So I say, how are you, you know, how are you managing your ADHD? And if they say, well, I take Adderall, and that's all they do. I mean, I will explore when do you take Adderall, what, what time do you do your doses, how, what does it do for you, how does it stack up against your specific target symptoms, and that's another thing I talk with them about. You know, you may have 10 symptoms that you're in your life, but which two are the most important, where you'll get the most leverage for improvement in the relationship, which is what I'm working on, or in your life, which two do you want to hone in on so you can pick the right strategies and really move the dial against those two target symptoms? You can do other symptoms later, but let's start in a focused way. So that's how I start that conversation. All three legs are very important. Obviously, for our audience, the interactive relational third leg is a a big interest because sometimes when we do basic communication problem-solving training, which is the backbone of couples therapy, speaker, listener, active listening, an ADHD partner has a hard time with that. And then the spouse gets very frustrated. So to understand that and to frame that as the spouse not being difficult, but it's just a symptom of the ADHD, what are some of the skills and techniques that go with the interactive relational skill building? Well, so along the lines of communication strategies, I do teach couples specific types of structured conversations. I have one that's sort of a modified standard conversation of speaker-listener technique that I call a learning conversation because what I've added into it is you have the speaker, you have the listener who's trying to say what they heard, and there's an overt assignment in that one for the, the listener to say not only what they heard in the words but also what they think they heard between the lines. Because in these couples, the neurological differences between them means that they experience the world very differently. 
And there are a lot of assumed motivations and assumed criticisms and et cetera that are the unspoken communication between the two <laughs> that you want to bring out into the light. So a learning conversation is a standard speaker listener, but with the added assignment of what was between the lines. So that's one kind of structured conversation that I teach. Another one is, is a conflict intimacy skill set where, and this is not my model, it's not my name, it comes from a group called the Relationship Institute, but a conflict intimacy skill set that you build is essentially non-aggressive speaking and non-defensive listening. And that's a very difficult skill set for partners who are impacted by ADHD to implement. But we work on that and, and put that together. I also work with them interactively around household responsibilities. There's this very interesting conundrum in ADHD-impacted relationships, which has to do with this parent-child dynamic, which I alluded to before, where you have the more structured, more organized partner, typically the non-ADHD partner, taking on a parental role, a managerial role, where they're stepping over the boundaries into the ADHD partner's space. So they start to take on deadlines because if they don't remind their ADHD partner who's got undermanaged ADHD, then nothing happens. They feel as if if I don't do it, it won't get done. With unmanaged ADHD, where there's no calendaring system, there's no reminder structure, nothing, that's often very true. And so they've learned this it generates a huge amount of resentment, a huge amount of anger, and it's very damaging to the relationship because you have this managerial person who is aggressive and resentful because they're in that managerial role. They've got way too many uh, responsibilities. They're always on high stress and high alert. They don't feel they can ever let go because they don't know when their partner isn't going to do what they said they were going to do. And then you have the ADHD partner who is in a very childlike role. It's lower status, which is very destructive for the relationship. They tend to either sort of retreat move into sort of into this childlike role and adopt it, sort of sort of giving in. They feel a lot of resentful, resentfulness from it. But also, you many times move into what I call, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> Which, yeah, and when I say, look, you feel like, you know, you're not the boss of me, they always recognize, oh yeah, that's exactly where I am. Because they really resent being bossed around. And they're very, this is where a lot of the defensiveness comes in these relationships. So I work hard to try to even out the status of the two partners. You cannot have a healthy relationship if the partners don't have equal status. And that means managing the ADHD in all three legs so that that partner becomes more reliable. And it means working with the non-ADHD partner on boundaries issues, taking on what's, you know, what's theirs and only what's theirs, handing over responsibility. You know, you have to do this over time because you have to transition. The non-ADHD partner can't just say, fine, you're going to do it. Because the ADHD partner doesn't have the structures in place yet to be able to take that thing on and do it and succeed. If they did, they would already have been doing it. So it's an interesting conundrum. So that's something that I work a lot on is getting out of parent-child. It is in, I would say, 99% of the relationships of people that have contacted me to work with me. This is one of the biggest issues. And then I work with them in a, on a chore, what I call the chore wars where 
they're arguing over who's setting the priorities in the household. Again, you got this manager who wants to set the priorities and the other person who feels unheard and setting up chore structures for them to make it much less toxic uh, for the two of them. So that's a, another long answer. But So I think one of the challenges that we think of ADHD treatment traditionally is you go to your psychiatrist, your family doctor, and and maybe you go every 30 days or 90 days and get your script and they ask you how things are going. And then the ADHD partner has to kind of translate that back to their spouse or loved one. So this idea of doing this with couples therapy, I mean, if you listen to the show, I'm always about expanding the therapeutic system, which in a sense really works here because you're working on this three-legged plan and the partner needs to know what's going on because there's a good chance the ADHD spouse can't fully translate it. And they also, back to your example, they have to have realistic examples of what improvement is because what the non-ADHD partner thinks is change may be overwhelming to the ADHD spouse. And again, if Little changes, as we know in therapy, can lead to bigger changes. But if the expectations aren't realistic and the partner isn't collaborating on the plan, it might not get out of the gate. So I really feel relationally, obviously ADHD is a individual order, but the, as we've been talking about this hour, the relational implications are huge. Why do you think we don't do more couples therapy for ADHD? Because it really seems, and I know you have a, a lot of things on the horizon in your two books, and we'll talk about that as we go too, but I, I feel like the field needs more relational work for an individual disorder. I totally agree with that. And actually, you know, one of the characteristics of the ADHD brain, John Rady, said you could call ADHD a reward deficiency syndrome if you wanted to because of the low levels of dopamine and the dopamine being so active in the reward system. person with ADHD responds particularly well to what is interesting and what is rewarding and particularly poorly to what doesn't feel rewarding. And I was reading some research not long ago about stimulant medication use over the long haul and the mixed results that they see with stimulant medication use over the long haul, which is sort of an interesting concept and they're trying to figure it out. First thing that came to my mind was, well, yeah, of course, because this, you know, when you're just measuring effect size of, of a medication, you're not taking into account at all what the environment is. And yet you have this reward focused brain so that if a partner is also on board and the two of you are working together to create the environment in which the ADHD partner thrives as well as the other partner thrives, the medication then is going to work, you know, it's going to work a lot better. I mean, because you have other things supporting the partner. It's hugely important. The sad part about this is that not only is, are these services really not available very broadly to, um, to couples, but there's very few opportunities for professionals who are interested in this to learn it. And it is the way to help adults with ADHD. I am convinced. So what do you think about a partner, the reverse of this, that does not want their spouse to be medicated? Well, I think I would look into the reasoning behind that. I mean, you talk about lack of trust in the medications or somehow becoming dependent upon the medications. The very first thing that I would do is say, look, first of all, this is this person's body. And so they are 100% in charge of what they choose to do or not do with their body. I don't see very many partners 
saying, don't try the medication. Most of the partners that I see are so desperate for an improvement in their lives that I see the reverse. They're saying, you have to try the medication or else I'm going to be really disappointed. And I also try to back them off of that one and say, look, this is this person's body. They're in charge of their own health and their own body and you're not. And I would like you to step back from being prescriptive in terms of solving that problem for them and rather being supportive and and allowing them to go through what they need to go through to be really fully committed to managing the ADHD broadly. That's what you want. It isn't about medication. It's about managing ADHD successfully so that both of you can thrive. You know, if you have an ADHD partner who is afraid of taking medications for one reason or another, I accept that partner where they are. And I make sure that they understand the options that they have available to them. And also that they understand that if they try a medication, they are not committing to that medication for life. All they are doing is, is saying, you know what, I'll, I'll see what the impact is so that they have knowledge from where they, you know, they can start to make some more informed decisions. And that often helps a lot, actually, if you just make sure that everybody, both partners understand that the agreement to try medications is not an agreement to take it for the rest of your life. That usually helps a lot. When we talk about the parent-child dynamic and the ADHD spouse somewhat being infantilized, I think one of the things that is also helpful that goes along with a strength and health-based orientation that many systemic therapists has is to look at the great workarounds or compensatory strategies that ADHD individuals have, right? And so a reframe that this might be their difficulties, but this is what they do really well to compensate for that. So I think that's important for a therapist to first and to build a relationship with the client, to let them know and ask about that, but also for the partner to validate that. What do you think about compensatory strategies and really non-traditional ways that ADHD people go about getting things done. I am all for acknowledging and building upon the strengths that that ADHD partner has. That is because of the nature of the ADHD brain. That is where you find relief. The things that are of interest to that partner, the things that work for that partner are the strategies that you are seeking. I like to say to couples, don't try harder, try differently. Trying harder is uh, trying to adopt a non-ADHD partner's approach to, you know, linear from point A to point B, and it'll just somehow magically get done. And that is just not the way that an ADHD partner's brain functions. And so I spend some time providing examples uh, for couples of um, less traditional ways of things that appeal to ADHD partners and may work better for them. For example, gamifying their approach or making it more rewarding or making it more varied and interesting, things that work better for, for folks. One easy example is a woman who told me that she developed a strategy. She had real trouble cleaning up her kitchen, and she developed a strategy of setting a timer, kitchen timer, for 10 minutes and then racing the timer to clean up her kitchen, and that provided the motivation she needed. You know, so things like that where you say it's not doesn't look traditional, but on the other hand, it really works. And creative thinking about what will work for me And what will work for you also helps reinforce the moving away from the parent-child dynamic. Part of the parenting dynamic is, well, you should do it this way because I know it works. 
And you're constantly trying to communicate to that couple, hey, that may work for the, that person who has a brain that goes from point A to point B in a straight line, but it may not work for the person who has a brain that does what I call the bumblebee approach, where it sort of zooms around and does a lot of other things and needs certain kinds of motivations like deadlines or gamification or whatever. Your story of cleaning makes me think of, again, household chores, which we said is a common presenting problem in, in ADHD couples. I was working with this one couple where the woman had a certain standard for cleaning and was working with her ADHD spouse on just order. And the compromise was, you know, I will work in this way to keep these common areas clean, but can I have my office, my study, can it be my way? And to the non-ADHD spouse, it was complete chaos. But for the ADHD spouse, it was his own idiosyncratic order. And if he could keep it that way, he could have one room that was his style, it was easier for him to help keep the other common areas clean. So I bring that up to say that, again, the difference as we've been talking about this hour between the ADHD brain and the non, but the spouse had a hard time understanding, and in this case, the parent-child dynamic, wanting to coach him how to keep his room but when she was able to leave it alone and let him do it his way the respect increased and they were really able to work together on the other parts of the house do you think that is a common dynamic in couples like this i do and actually in that situation one of the things that i would work with again trying to address the parent child syndrome is um, whether it's her business to be telling him how to keep his space If it's a distinct office, that is his space, then I would argue that it isn't about whether she would let him do this, but rather that that she would not really have any say over how he does it. If she really hates the way it looks, they can close the door, assuming that it has a door. Sometimes one of the things that I do that I think a lot of mental health professionals don't do is I will refer to myself in things that I thought about or attitudes that I found I had to use to challenge myself to think differently. And in this case, one of the things is, uh, is uh, you know, say I used to have very much the same kinds of feelings like it should be this way, it should be that way, it should be that way. And then one day I started asking myself, who made me queen? Like, this is my husband's house as well as my house. So why is it that I get to dictate uh, what the standard is going to be? And that's actually a question that needs to be explored in marital counseling with these couples because typically the manager assumes that their way is the quote-unquote right way and uh, it has to be done that way and I continually gently but continually push back against the does it have to be done that way really truly how do we allow and encourage that other partner to have more status and more say silos of spaces, silos of tasks, a recognition that it shouldn't be just one of the two of you that's setting all of the priorities, um, that this has to be a joint activity. That's the kind of work that you do when you move through the boundaries conversations and the parent-child dynamic conversations. Let me give you one more scenario that actually uh, several listeners told me they wanted to ask about, and I think this happens a lot. We know couples have their worst fights in cars. It's a confined space. <laughs> and we also know that ADHD leads to distracted drivers. So let's say we have uh, the non-ADHD spouse is very hypervigilant, flooded when they are driving 
with their ADHD partner. But the ADHD partner doesn't want to be infantilized. They don't want to be in the passenger all the time. It's a huge issue, actually. And I have to tell you, sometimes it's quite extreme. I had a woman write to me recently about her husband who claims he's a really great driver and insists he's a great driver and who, she gave me one example, recently had driven up on the right-hand sidewalk to get around cars that were at a stop sign because he was too impatient to wait. And I was like, oh no. This is a huge issue because you're trapped, because there's potentially danger uh, with speeding, which is one of the things that comes with distracted driving and with thinking you're a better driver. And there is research on driving specifically with ADHD and non and neuro, more neurotypical people. The research essentially says we all think we are better drivers than we are, but ADHD people, there's a bigger gap between their actual driving and how they perceive their driving to be. And this aligns with driving issues being highly correlated with ADHD to the degree where Russ Barkley was thinking for a while that it should become a diagnostic criteria for adult ADHD, losing licenses uh, or getting them suspended, traffic tickets, speeding, accidents, etc., are all correlated more highly with adult ADHD. So one of the things that I do say is, look, this isn't a perception. This is real in the average. You may be a fabulous driver, but <laughs> if you look at your track record, you may find that there are traffic tickets or speeding tickets or losing your license or whatever. And if you start to pursue that, sometimes that stuff is, in fact, there. In terms of the immediate issue, I think that there is the time when a partner is in the car so this gets down to the you're not the boss of me conversation lots of times. There's a time when there's a partner in the car, and it is about the partner's anxiety, not about the driving. And if you can uh, uh, take it back to this, look, my issue, I'm not trying to control your driving. I'm trying to address my anxiety, which is very high because when you go to the right of somebody at a stop sign and dri drive over the lawn, I, you know, I, I want to jump out of my skin. Right? Or when you're driving at 95 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone, or when you're tailgating or whatever the thing is that's going on. So I don't have an opinion about how you drive when I'm not in the car. You can drive however you want. That's fine. This is about me not about you. That helps a lot. doesn't always help, but it can help a lot. And then you maybe that person is in the passenger seat uh, much of the time. And in our case, we actually have that some of the time in our relationship. The good side of it is my husband gets to look at his phone and work on his computer. Like there's a benefit to him. He's not just being punished or something. This isn't about a punishment. Right. It's not about a punishment. It's beautifully said. If you can frame it as, hey, this is about a reassurance to me. I can relax more when I drive and then we're going to get along better. When it's framed as a reassurance versus you critiquing your ADHD partner, it's much easier to receive. I like yeah. how you said that. I, well, I just want to add one more thing. I think one of the issues comes along with rage. Again, this is emotional dysregulation. When you get to, because the, typically the other partner, if they're anxious enough, one of the potential solutions is not to get into a car with the ADHD partner as a driver to, uh, if they're doing something around town or whatever, to get an Uber or drive separately or whatever. I mean, it's more of an extreme example. But one of the most dangerous situations is when they start to talk about something highly emotional and, and a rage erupts while the partner is driving. And I do hear about that 
with some regularity. And I think in that situation, if that comes up regularly, I say, okay, while you happen to have your partner trapped in the car, that does not mean that it's a good time to bring up the topic that is the hot topic in your relationship because there's an innate danger there if you have an emotionally dysregulated partner. Your books, The ADHD Effect on Marriage and A Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD are great both for you as a couples therapist, if you're listening to this, and also for your clients to read. And what do you want to do with this next part of your career? Well, I am very excited about a new project that I'm working on, actually. And and I wanted to say for therapists who are looking for additional information on this topic for their couples, I do give a seminar for couples that a lot of therapists send their couples too, um, as an adjunct to therapy. And if you want to take it yourself, you're welcome to do that. I have a professional courtesy discount as well. It's not particularly expensive. And I've been giving it for over a decade. It's a very, very good course that moves the needle for couples pretty quickly. So that's a good resource. And that can work. You can use that and like go through the materials as you get through it. I cover a lot of the stuff we've talked about today. But in terms of the next version of my career, I mean, I'm I do a lot of different things, but I'm working on a professional training institute right now, and I'm really excited about it because it is uh, very obvious that it's really hard to learn this, and I'm interested in passing along the information that I've learned and that other really top people in this have learned to the next generation, and we're creating a top-notch training curriculum. And uh, it's going to be a a blended thing so that anybody can take it, but lectures plus uh, small group case study work with top people. And I could not be more excited about it. I can't wait to get this information out there so that other professionals have it. We start personal, we like to end personal. I am curious in the sense of your very personal story with your husband of how you got interested in it. What does he think of your career and how do you guys all these years later talk about how ADHD functions in the relationship? Well, he's incredibly supportive. And I have to say, before I ever started talking about this, the first thing I did was say, okay, so you have to tell me how you feel about the fact that I'm about to expose all this horrible stuff that we've done to each other uh, over the years and how we addressed it. And his response was, look, you know, if it can help other people avoid what we went through, that's fine. And actually, he's a very active supporter of this because he runs my website, my ADHD marriage website for me. And that's a huge job. So he's got a full-time or well, almost full-time job, you know, of his own. He doesn't need the extra work, but he very graciously does that uh, for me. So as he likes to joke, you couldn't have done it without me. (laughs) And it's totally true because I wouldn't have had the experience without him. And also I wouldn't have the website to help support people without him either. So for our listeners, that website is ADHDmarriage.com. And you can find out all about Melissa and what's coming up, her seminars, lots of great psychoeducation. Again, links to books and resources, including her two books that I mentioned. I can't thank you enough. It was great to talk to you, and I look forward to seeing where this training institute is going. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so delighted to have talked with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Eli, back with you, bringing to a close another informative edition of the AAMFT podcast. Learned a lot there about ADHD and intimate relationships. Again, Melissa Orlov, ADHDmarriage.com. Her therapist resources include a free treatment ebook 
if you register and you can download that. She also has a popular couples seminar, the ADHD Effect in Depth. You can take that either as a therapist, you can recommend it to your couples. And if you go to her website, you can see a $50 professional courtesy refund off the course price. We love to hear from you here on the AMFT podcast. That is how we get topics like this. The ADHD marriage came from listener feedback. Easiest way to do that is drop me a line. You can go to elikaram.com that's E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M you can also email me Eli at northstarcounselingcenter.com you can drop me a line on Twitter at Dr. Eli Live if that's your thing and you can follow the AAMFT at the AAMFT on Twitter please check wherever you find your favorite podcast I'm partial to Apple Podcasts, but you can find us anywhere. Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find three seasons worth of the AMFT Podcast, bringing you emerging topics like we're talking about today and the movers and shakers in the field, the pioneers of systemic therapy. As always, stay safe, stay systemic, stay systemic, stay systemic, stay systemic, stay systemic. Stay 